0: This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host, Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health.
1: Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. McWait, and thank you for joining me for an in-depth conversation exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Today on the show, internet access has been crucial for distance education, for learners and educators of all ages. How are schools supporting their students under seemingly constantly changing conditions? First, we'll have Kim Dixon. She's from Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe and is the Learning Center Director at the Leech Lake Tribal College. And then reporter Melissa Townsend talks to Dan McKeon, the School Director at the Baganagashig School in Bena, Minnesota on Leech Lake as well. Looking forward to hearing from them, but first, the 2020 National Tribal Broadband Summit took place in late September. The collaboration among the Department of the Interior, The U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Institute of Museum and Library Services showcased solutions to some of the biggest barriers to developing tribal broadband. Joni Buffalohead was a speaker during the summit. She works at Indigenous Pact, whose mission is to create health equity for American Indians and Alaska Natives in one generation. Joni highlighted the inequities in internet access and the wide-reaching effect that it has in Indian country.
0: One major inequity that we uncover many times, especially since the pandemic is access to broadband. And although my work is focusing on health and social services in the um, communities, indigenous communities. Uh, the basic um, denominator, the common denominator is connectivity. And once again, sovereignty is challenged by the dominant society. And it's broadband now. Broadband is important for our health or education our travel economies.
1: Again, that was Joni Buffalohead on a clip of the National Tribal Broadband Summit. Video from the summit is on the U.S. Indian Affairs YouTube channel. So today we're going to dive into how schools on Leech Lake are supporting their students, especially when it comes to internet connectivity and distance learning. First, let me welcome Kim Dixon, the Learning Center Director at the Leech Lake Tribal College. Boozhoo Kim, how are you doing? I'm doing good, how are you? Good. Can you please take a moment to introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Hi, who's My name is Kim Dixon, and I am a descendant of Letchik Band of Ojibwe. I work at Letchik Tribal College as the Learning Center Director and the ATD Internship Co- Coordinator. Thank you. And how how are you doing, Ken? Um, well, it's been a journey. Um, it's a continuous journey. I think that. As a whole, I'm doing okay. I have I, I have my own kiddos to look after. One's doing distance education. One's actually going to school. The one that's doing distance education is a senior, and she has um, she's um, autistic. So it's been kind of a little bit of a struggle working with her, but. You know, we're persevering and everything's been challenging. All this is new for all of us, um, even working with the students from Leech Lake Tribal College and stuff. But in a whole, I feel like I'm doing okay. I'm glad when the sun is out, I'm getting all that good vitamin D stored up for winter. And <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we have to cherish these days. Yes, I know we it's do. Just out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Great, and can you talk a bit about what the learning center is? And can you tell me about your work at the learning center?
2: Sure. So the learning center is—it's um, a place for students to go to get um, tutoring in their coursework. I typically, when we're on campus, I have three to four peer tutors, and so I do a lot of um, training with them. And as of right now, I only have one peer tutor. And so we're doing more Zoom-type tutoring services. And so I meet with my tutor regularly and go over, you know, the do's and don'ts of tutoring and such. I also am a big part of the accessibilities, um team. So I work very closely with students that have self-identified with a disability. And um, I also work with their instructors. We have bi-weekly meetings to talk about the student just to make sure that they're doing okay, they're getting the services that they need to be successful in their coursework.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about what happened at Leech Lake
2: Tribal College when the pandemic started? Sure, so I remember the day specifically, March 17th is when I was my last day on campus. The 19th was the last day for everyone on campus, all the students, and it was during our spring break which was really nice. So it gave us some time to prep and prepare our students to this new way of learning. So um, we got acquainted with Zoom quite quite quickly <laughs> and, and just started really, you know, contacting our students and letting them know our, our president, Ray Burns, was was really good with, you know, doing talks, um, sending emails, sending actual physical letters, going on our Facebook, you know, and and talking and and keeping students updated on the procedures and what to expect. We have a planning meeting group that was established. And so we meet weekly and um, everything basically went asynchronous or synchronous. So asynchronous is completely online where they have some communication with instructors like through maybe just video and then synchronized classes where they would still meet at those, give, at those same hours that the classes were scheduled through Zoom and just do like a virtual classroom type setting. We had some hotspots, some Chromebooks, and our dean of students, Jorge Mendoza, contacted um, Paul Bunyan Internet and another internet company Um, just to see if they could provide some free internet services for our students, which they, they, they did. It was really nice. You know, so some of our students got hooked up with the internet and that was, I think, our biggest hurdle is getting everybody able to attend Zoom meetings and things like that. It was definitely a struggle, though, for our students. And we did take that into consideration. So we did allow a compassionate withdrawal so it wouldn't affect their GPAs. And such and so there were you know, a number of students that did participate in the compassionate withdrawal and we also did a pass, no pass type of grading. We did letter grades out for A, A and B, and then anything CD, we just did pass.
1: So now a uh, new semester is well on its way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what What do operations look like now as far as uh, the Learning Center?
2: And um, what are students doing and what are staff doing? Sure. I'll start with the Learning Center. So what we're doing is we're offering still tutoring services. I, I get information out to our students like as much as possible. We have something called Monday Drum, which we host through Zoom every Monday. And so it's like all of us kind of getting together. It's, it's just a good way to start, start our week and then uh, we do like our pipe ceremony on the first Monday of the month. And it's just a place where all of us kind of share out what's happening and a place for our students to go to get information of what's happening for the week. Mainly, a lot of the students either want to talk on the phone, do a Zoom meeting, or even through Facebook Messenger. I did some extended hours in even weekend hours just to make it Easier for them because we service probably six or seven different school districts. In our medium age of our students, are is twenty nine. So a lot of our students are parents, and with the with the K twelve school systems, they're either hybrid. Some are on campus, are on their in their school grounds all the time. Some are completely online. So it's really hard for some of our students to meet during like normal business hours. And a lot of our classes, I would say, oh, 85% of our classes are synchronous right now. So that means there's a scheduled date, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Those students then will go into that classroom through Zoom and do a live class. And we have about 15% that are asynchronous. So it's completely online and they'll just have like video feed from that instructor. But with the K-12 school systems, the way they're managing and then like in our area right now, it's 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 hitting us hard. COVID's hitting us hard right now. So I think there's going to be a lot of changes in those K-12 schools and stuff. So it's, it's making us look at, you know, maybe we need to do a little bit more of those asynchronous classes in spring semester coming up versus the synchronized, because as I work with students too, like they tell me, you know, the difficulties they're having because their kids have to, you know, they have to be online with their kids at this time. And so it's really hard for them to get to class. And so, like I said, we're learning, we're learning right along with them, but we have such good, good communication with them. We had um, 149 students that started the semester, which we were really thankful for. We were we were hoping to break over a hundred. So we had almost 150. So we we're pretty pleased with that. And and I think that they they do like that we communicate with them and, and really, really help them. What about instructors? What
1: have you seen with the instructors?
2: Um, with the instructors, it's it's also been a learning curve. We have a good support system and put in place for those instructors. Um, they did um, some summer sessions through an AHEC program to help them kind of shift into that gear. We have a few elders on campus, one in particular who has my heart, Bob Jardine. He's our he's our elder Ojibweman speaker, and um, he's 75 years old. And so it's been quite a struggle for him, but he's You know, he's, he's up for the challenge. It just, it just blows my mind how he's, he's getting into those Zoom meetings and teaching his students still and with the support of our, our, of our great IT team and our distance education coordinator, we've really seen good progress.
1: And what are you doing now to support students getting online or making sure they get online?
2: So it goes back to, to March. So it was when it all started. So um, the STEM department had uh, quite a few Chromebooks to distribute to students and wrote a grant that enabled us to get more Chromebooks and some hotspots. We are in such a rural area that some of our students, even if they wanted the Internet, they can't even get the Internet at their, at their homes because there's no cable services that go out there that way. And I know our president, Ray Burns, is trying to look at some areas where we can get hotspots into more um, generalized locations, Um, like even at a community center or something like that. And if we go through library services, you know, more students and families really can access the Internet without, you know, having it just be like one student per hotspot. Yeah, because there's
1: accessing the internet and then there's accessing high-speed internet. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And positives. Kim, what do you see that's that you're like inspired by or that you have you seen something that you're like, "Hey, this this little part of this isn't so bad."
2: Yeah, I see like I just see a lot of people that I didn't typically work with firsthand. So you see them in these meetings and you 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 just see more of their compassion to our students and how our college operates, where you didn't really know that before. I see like a big collaboration between student services and academics. I think we're working just so well together and just making sure that we're providing the needs of our students as best as we can. And it's it's tough because you didn't you don't realize how much you miss. Your coworkers,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Are, are there other ways you keep up a sense of community for yourself? Um,
2: oh gosh, I'm so busy. <laughs> like I said, I have, I have, I have little ones. I have kiddos. So my daughter, one of my daughters, is in volleyball. So that's a that's an outlet for me. I can watch her play and cheer on her team. And I don't know. I just I feel. I feel really close to my family right now, and I thought it would be bad, but it really isn't. Um, I'm living with my parents who are both 89 years old, so I'm taking care of them also. I have three of my kids, two of my kids are are older and out of the house, but three of my kids are here still, and we're learning new recipes from grandma and... (laughs) You know, stories of childhood before before Zoom, you know, they're not understanding this at all. And it's kind of it's kind of fun to watch them, you know. My daughter's volleyball games only only her parents can come and watch. But Leech Lake Television is actually kind enough to film those games live. And so my parents have been able to watch her. At home, sitting in their chair, play volleyball, which they've never done before. They've never even gone to their games because because she's older. So it's a it's a new, interesting world. Like I said at the beginning, it's a journey. <laughs> it's a journey that we're all on, and just trying to keep positive.
1: Well, thank you so much, Kim, for yes. taking time to chat with me and share your experience, um, your own experience, and at
2: Leech Lake Tribal College. Well thank you. I just I'm I'm honored that you reached out to me and I'm extremely humbled to to do this.
1: You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID 19 Community Conversations, supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. And today we're talking about internet access and supporting learners navigating distance education. We just heard from Kim Dixon, the Learning Center Director at the Leech Lake Tribal College, and how they're supporting their students. Next up, The Buganagashig School on the Leech Lake Reservation has about 220 students from 115 households in an area of rural northern Minnesota where there are spots with absolutely no internet access, kind of like what we just heard with Kim Dixon. The school's director, Dan McKeon, says school staff have been working hard since June to increase the number of households with internet from about 45% to 90%. Reporter Melissa Townsend talked with Dan McKeon about their work connecting with families via the internet and how staff are keeping vibrant relationships with students and families during this isolating time.
0: So tell me a little bit, You last year, March came, you guys went all online. Is that how it
3: happened? When the state shut down in mid-March, we went to distance learning, but not an online distance model. We knew that that wouldn't work because there were roughly 50% of our households that were without reliable internet connection. Got it.
0: How many students, how many families do you work
3: with? Uh, We have about 115 households approximately, and uh, about 220 kids come from those 115 households. So we, last year we delivered what we call learning packets each week along with food through the second half of March, all of April, all of May, and we continued with food delivery through the end of June. But as we got through the end of June, uh, we started to acknowledge the reality and the likelihood that we would be potentially operating in a distance model again for the start of the school year. And that's when we really kicked into high gear with getting uh, more of our families and our households hooked up to internet services. And so now we're at a point, as we wrapped up September, we were Somewhere between 90 and 95% of our households had internet connection, and that's been provided by the school.
0: That's pretty amazing. I'd love for you to briefly just walk me through like you are signing a family up to get high speed internet that the school is then paying for it. Talk me through how that
3: works. It kind of depends. This summer, what we did is we grouped our households into three different kind of I guess priority groups. Okay. The top priority group would be a, a household that didn't have internet and didn't live in an area that was there was cable in the ground that they could hook into. So they were top priority because it was going to take the most time to get them connected. The second tier of priority were families who didn't have internet but lived in an area where getting hooked up was possible. And then the third tier were families who had internet and we just needed to take over their subscription. For financial reasons? Yeah, well, just because it wouldn't be fair to say, well... As of this date, you don't have internet, so we're going to pay for it, whereas a family down the road that does have internet. Uh, so we just made it a blanket thing where we said we're going to pay for an internet subscription for each household that has a Bug and a student. Oh, uh, wow. You know, so the process is different. The paperwork that had to be signed, for example, is different depending on which group you fell into. Also, you know, depending on whether you own or rent the property that you're in, you know, we had to get landowner permission to get those Internet connections established. Oh, wow. It it really varies a lot based on the the scenario of the individual household.
0: Hmm. Why did you decide, given all of these challenges to uh, Internet access, to not just keep going with the the big old copy machine (laughs) and the distance learning packets?
3: Boy, to be frank, a distance learning program that's not online that we operated last spring, it, it failed pretty miserably. There wasn't much teaching happening, and there certainly wasn't much learning happening. It's just such an extraordinarily difficult way to try to teach, to put together a packet of things and then send it on a bus to get dropped off. It's just no way to do it. Teachers weren't getting, you know, they didn't feel like they were teaching, and they weren't getting work back from their kids that suggested that learning was happening. And so we knew that if we were going to continue in a distance learning model, it had to be moved into an online realm. Yeah been a uh, quite an experience of establishing contracts with internet service providers where we the school was providing the subscription, but it wasn't a subscription that was coming to the school. It was a subscription that was going to 100 plus different households scattered across kind of a massive geographic region. We're still working our way through that, but we, we've been pretty successful. There are a couple households that are just in locations where it's just not even an option right now because broadband access hasn't been extended to those areas. And so we are doing our best with hotspots, jetpacks, a variety of strategies trying to keep those kids in the game through this online distance program. And
0: I think about, you know, the what you have to offer is sort of this whole child, culturally rich context. Does that work online?
3: It can. I mean, I'd be lying if we told you that we have it all figured out. We don't. You know, (laughs) This is new for us as a school community. And by that, I mean our staff and our students and our families. And so I think we got a lot of things right in September, but I've been really trying to stress to our staff and our school board that we have to be really nimble and stay fluid as we do this because we're going to do some things right, we're going to do some things wrong, and we need to be getting feedback about how it's going and then making adjustments accordingly. Mm -hmm. So to your question about the cultural piece, you know, we have our cultural staff. So we've got drum and dance classes for our students. We've got, of course, Ojibwe language classes for our students, seasonal activities classes for our students. Mm -hmm. And all of those teachers are delivering content online, but we're also sending out materials. So our, Mm -hmm. our buses run every day to deliver food and we're delivering tangible materials as well as part of that. So they get a little delivery at home, but then they can go online and watch a video of their teachers explaining Uh, how to do something. It's not that we've completely abandoned the delivery of tangible learning materials. It's that we're combining that with online instruction and I think having more success that way.
0: So things are getting delivered by bus all the time, every day.
3: Yep, we have two different transportation teams uh, working. One is, is a team that delivers meals every day to each house And then we are predominantly online right now, Um, Mm -hmm. but we have what we call an in-person support system. So each morning and each afternoon, we have um, up to 15 students that come to the school. Basically, every kid has the opportunity right now to come to school once a week for two hours. Um, So they might come in for technology tutoring. They might come in for academic tutoring. They might come in for special education services, uh, mental health services, things like that. So everybody here knows that, for us to be successful with the online model there has to be some sort of in-person component to it where we get a little bit of access to the kid in a face-to-face setting
0: that's so smart i mean especially in such a rural environment there can be so much isolation and from what i hear that really impacts young people's mental health to be that kind of disconnected is that a part of this picture that you're seeing
3: oh absolutely you know i I've had a lot of conversations with different people like the one we're having where people ask, how's it going? How are the kids doing? You know, how's school going? And the most honest answer I can give right now is that I don't really know. You know, we're so early in this. I have some teachers telling me that the work they're getting now is better than the work they were getting when we had students in person. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But I think for some of the kids, this model really works well doing school online eliminates a lot of the things that can be distracting at school. For some kids, it's social anxiety. For some kids, it's, you know, sometimes it's not cool to take school seriously. But when they get to do it in the privacy of their own home or their own bedroom, they can be the student that they're capable of being without any concern about how that's going to reflect. But then on the other hand, you have kids that they don't log in when when we want them to log in and we don't really know how they're doing and they're, they're, they're not completing much work So to me, this process is like casting a net. And right now the net we're casting is catching, so to speak, maybe 50% of our kids. So now it's like, okay, how do we adjust this net that we're casting so that we pull in another 10% and another 10% and what other strategies can we use where we're picking up a few kids here and there so that if we have to do this all year, within a couple months, we're engaging 90% of our kids rather than 50% of our kids.
0: Are you finding that the kids who are already struggling the most are the ones who are not connecting?
3: No, I wouldn't say it's a clean like correlation like that. I think there are kids who are doing better with this system than they did with, you know, what we think of as traditional school. Got it.
0: And how did you pay for all this?
3: Well, you know, schools got some CARES Act funding that came through. Mm -hmm. You know, we chose to put the bulk of that funding towards the purchase of Chromebooks and towards Paying for internet subscriptions, so it raises the question of sustainability because that money isn't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. And so, as a school community, we're going to have to face that decision eventually. Of are we going to continue to provide internet subscriptions for our students, for our families? Um, my hope is that we will, but obviously, there's a financial component to that. Of how do we yeah. sustain that? That's a bridge we'll cross when we get to it. Right now, we got to stay focused on developing and improving our our online program and just kind of keep our eye on that ball before we start worrying about that bridge down the road.
0: Have you been thinking about internet access for your families before COVID?
3: Yeah, I mean that's perhaps a silver lining of all this is that more and more schools are moving more and more stuff online, right? Like this this was all happening before COVID that a lot of schools were, you know, teachers were using Google Classroom, teachers were using SeeSaw, it was becoming a more and more mainstream part of schools. And this has pushed us to bring our teaching and learning system into a more contemporary context. You know, it's
0: funny because online access is so key and so great, but really like the person to person, you can't, you just don't want to get rid of that either. So what a nice balance you're trying to strike there.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's in my, you know, I'm going on 17, 18 years of, of school leadership at this point. And you know I, if there's one thing that i fundamentally know is true it's about relationships and that's the fundamental piece of a successful education program and you know how do you maintain that in a, a world of online teaching and learning i feel like we're kind of on to something where the there's going to be this really healthy mix of online work online teaching and learning but with the right amount of in person face to face interaction and once we get that mix right i think we'll really be doing well
1: That was our reporter, Melissa Townsend, talking with Dan McKeon, the director of the Baganageshig School on the Leech Lake Reservation. Thank you to Dan McKeon and Kim Dixon for sharing your thoughts and perspective. And thank you for listening today, miigwech. Adaptation and change is necessary, though not always easy. In fact, it can be pretty difficult. I'm constantly moved by how much we can pull together to keep living and learning while keeping one another safe and as healthy as possible during this pandemic. Miigwech, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem.
0: Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.